we're, uh, we're looking at something today. Uh, we'll get to it. We've got to start with uh, Colossians 1, 3, 1 anyway, because it, it works its way towards it. But it's about the fact that you're brand new. And this letter is to the church at Colossae. And we're brand new. I'm not the same I used to be. And for me, I tend to drive cars till they die. Um, uh, the last car I had before the white uh, Highlander, I had a white Tahoe, and I had it for 12 years, and had 224,000 miles on it, and uh, I was gonna, till I die, and then I was speaking one night, uh, five years ago up in Okeechobee, and pulling out at 10 o'clock on a Wednesday night, and uh, I've never been in Okeechobee. I've never been in anything like Okeechobee. Uh, yeah, there's no lights, uh, and you go through some place called Cluiston, and then you go through some other place. Honestly, it's scary for a guy from New York. And I'm driving, and there are people walking along the road, and my car starts making a ticking noise. I know my car is going to break down in the middle of absolutely nowhere, and they're going to get me, cook me, and eat me, or something up there. I mean, it was just a strange place. I went and got a new car, the Highlander that's out there, and my friend at, at Toyota of Hollywood, the manager said, you know, I know you, cars have changed a lot since your last car, uh, and I know you're not gonna read the manual, so let's get in the car and go for a drive. I wanna teach you things, and, and he said, you drive. And I turned on the engine, and there's a television screen right there in the dashboard, which was bizarre to me, and it's trying to tell me, help me back up, and for 70 years, I've used mirrors. I'm really good with mirrors. He said, you're not even using it to back up. Honestly, it took me months to trust that television screen. They said, give me your phone. I said, why do you want my phone? Well, your phone works here in the, in the dashboard. You're kidding me. And so we're, I'm learning so many new things. But honestly, it took me a long time to be willing to do it. Then the best ever was when Robert got his Tesla and Robert met Rosemary over at a tile place to help her pick out tile and parked in the back. And they come out of the store and all of a sudden, his Tesla comes up to pick him up. And Rosemary says, there's nobody in that car. <laughs> yeah, and I, I don't know about anybody else in the room, there is no way I could have a car that drives by itself. I'm too much of a control freak, and it's probably an age issue, but wow. But so often we have so many op opportunities with new, with new. You're a new person. You're a new person. It begins in Colossians 3.1. Since you have been raised to a new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Unfortunately, I set my sights locally, the things around me, things I think I need, whatever, rather than the realities, where you're going. You don't have to go. You get to go. You get to go. Think about the things, verse 2 says, the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, just like the Tahoe, and your real life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So I'm supposed to reveal to the world around me, I'm supposed to re reveal to the world around me what Christ has done in my life, what Christ has done, period, in my life. It's so funny because people are afraid of us and people are afraid of Christians, many people are, because uh, they've been burned by Christians. They've met people who claim to be Christian. People, I, I met somebody a couple months ago who stopped going to church. He started and stopped. They're not any, they're, they're a mess. And in my neighborhood when the kids were little, some, when I was at Christ the Rock, nobody could figure out what I did for a living. Um, all they did was avoid me. And uh, when I was at Christ the Rock as the interim for three years, that's walking 
uh, from my house. I could walk, to, I did sometimes walk to church. And so the word got out that I was a pastor. And, uh, and so they were even more afraid. And the funniest thing happened, I was down uh, asking Jim Hill uh, to make a donation to Sheridan House. Jim Hill, at one point, was the largest roses distributor in North America. He had 10,000 acres in Columbia. He grew them, brought them to Miami, sold them to Publix, Winn-Dixie, all these different places. And I'm down asking him for money, and he says, oh, here's a good survey, actually. Because he, he said, do you want some roses for your wife? I said, absolutely. What, he said, what color do you want? And he said, uh, I said, well, red, right? I, he said, what do you mean? Well, red, this is what ladies like, right? And he says, no, that's a myth. He said, we went out to lunch. He told somebody to get me some roses. I came back, and there was a case about like this, about like this and about like this, 600 long stem red roses. And I said, let's open it and I'll just take a handful. No, it's easier for us if you just take the box and, and not make a mess. So I brought the box home and the goodness of God, my in-laws were there for the weekend. So I opened it up, yes, I opened it up in the back of my car and walked in with a handful of roses for Rosemary and, and then walked back out and got another handful of roses for Rosemary and walked back out. And her dad, who was a pastor, was a pastor in Lakeland, was just watching me. And her mom said he must have done something really wrong this past weekend. But it was wasted because Rosemary said, you were with Jim Hill today, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. So then Rosemary said, let's have the kids go up and down the street and give every house two dozen roses. And let me wait, I want to make an invitation card and invite them to come to our house for an evening uh, before Christmas. And I said, okay, but it can't be an evening. 7 to 8.30, let's have some def definition here. And the funniest thing is when they came, I know every husband said to their wives, do not sit down, we're not going to be here that long. So they're all standing up around my house kind of waiting for me to do something weird and religious. And uh, we're having a hilarious time. And then uh, when we're at the end of the night, I didn't do anything until the end of the night. And I said, the end of the night, um, okay, it's 8.30, you guys all have to go. And they're laughing. I said, but before you go, why don't we all hold hands and let me pray for you. Some of you guys look like you haven't held your wife's hands in years, so let's hold hands and let me pray for you. And it was the most amazing thing because I looked up after the prayer and some of them were crying. They've been burned rather than loved on. Rather than loved on. He's saying we're supposed to, we're supposed to be so different uh, that when Christ is revealed, verse 4, is revealed to the whole world, it starts with me. I've got to reveal Christ. goes on to say, so, verse 5, we did last week. Really glad this one's done, actually. So, put to death sinful, earthly lurk things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Do not be greedy. Do not be greedy. Uh, a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because, and here's a very key word in verse 6, because these sins, because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. We're going to talk about anger today. It's not a matter of having anger. Even God, even Jesus, four times in the Bible, was angry. It's what you do with the anger. But he's starting here with this pollution of God's gift. Sex, sexual sin is a great insult to the gift of our sexuality that God has given us. A great insult. Then, verse 7. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. When your life was still part of this world. And I get this. For me, never having been in the door of a church till I was 20, and, and seeing how, first of all, how different Rosemary was, and then seeing uh, when she 
when we went to church and just seeing how different most of the people were. My fraternity brothers were in the same church, so I knew, okay, I know what they do on the weekends. But I, we used to do those things. We can't do them anymore. And the bottom line is, I get the best life I can possibly have by trusting Christ enough to follow Christ. To follow Christ. I was the interim at a church in Boca Raton called Boca Raton Community Church, and I'm getting off on a Sunday to go um, to, the, to the church, get off I-95 on Palmetto and go to the church. And a uh, little car accident in front of me, and as I looked, uh, a woman I recognized from church was in the accident, and she is out, and I'm getting ready to pull over and put my window down and pull over and uh, see if I can help. Her language was so unbelievable. So I decided, nah, I'm going to keep going. I couldn't believe the words she was screaming. And later on that morning, there she is on the praise team uh, singing praise songs. And I thought, wow, wow. Yeah. But now, and here it is, our focal verse. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Now's the time to get rid of it. This whole anger thing, anger is an emotion. It's a reality. There are going to be times when you're angry. It's a reality. It's an emotion. Psalm 4.4, don't sin by letting anger, by letting anger control you. You're going to have anger. Don't let it take over. Don't give somebody else the remote control to you. What you just did to me, said to me, and now it's, it's got hit the anger button. I need to give it to him. Lord, you know what I want to do. Yeah. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Think about it overnight and remain silent. In other words, you're going to be angry. But because of these sins, verse 6 said, the anger of God is coming. Anger is a reality. It's what I do with it. Ephesians 4.26, and don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. I don't know if I use this illustration last week, but Rosemary called me from Publix uh, years ago and uh, in tears, and I could hear somebody screaming, some guy screaming behind her. And I said, what's up? And she said, well, I was backing out, and as I was backing out of the parking space, he was backing out, and we backed into each other, and he's just, he's gone nuts. And so I got in the car, got to Publix, and by the time I got to Publix, he was standing there talking to her outside, the police were done, and uh, she, uh, he was helping her to her car and closing the car door and uh, then stopping traffic, which was me, coming down the parking lot uh, so she could get out. And I said to her, we need to go over to Beverly Hills. I need to know what happened. Is that the same guy that was yelling all those profanities and screaming at you? Yeah. And I said, what happened? She said, I didn't, I didn't act like him. I just didn't act like him. And he calmed down. And she said, and it was also his second accident that week. Um, but I didn't act like him. Yeah, it's my job to control my anger rather than let anger control me. Ephesians 4.26 tells me this is not only possible, but required. It's required by my Father. Even though it's an injustice or whatever it is done to me, it's required. Yeah, James 1.19. Understand this, my brothers and sisters. You must be quick to listen slow to speak, and slow to get angry. And somehow there there's, was a season of life where I had just the opposite. Quick to get angry, quick to speak, and forget about being quiet. Yeah. When you sin by letting anger react 
when you sin by letting your anger react to a situation, you're indicating that you don't think God can handle it. There is a remote control that controls you. You either daily relinquish it to him or you let people say or do or whatever. And can I say, I read a journal article two weeks ago, anger and depression are both at all-time highs in this country right now. I gotta be different. I gotta let people see. They don't think we're different. Yeah, they don't think we're different. And, and one of the coolest things happened uh, last week, I probably said this also, there are three of us that are investing in a waitress at uh, um, Village Tavern. And she's an older single mom and uh, in, in a bad place financially. And the three of us all decided they, she knows we're Christians. We've invited her to church, invited her to church. Joe has when he's there with Rebecca, Rosemary, and I have. And one of the other waitresses actually came to church with Rosemary. But we decided to get ridiculously generous with her because Christians are known for being cheap. And when the manager left to go to a restaurant on uh, Las Olas, to be the manager of a restaurant on Las Olas, and he said, came and sat down with him and said, I don't know if you and, uh, and Bob and that other big guy, <laughs> that other big guy know this, but the, the wait staff at Village Tavern actually talk about your generosity. To the glory of God, because they do see us pray. And it's the funniest thing being in a restaurant. If the same person that takes my order is the one that delivers my order, I always say to her, hey, we're getting ready, almost always, we're getting ready to pray for this meal. Is there anything we can pray for you? And watching some of them kind of back away from the table. Uh, no, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. But watching one back away recently and come back in tears. My mom has stage four cancer. Can, can you pray for her? And I say, yeah, but you've got to stay here. And she takes Rosemary's hand, and we pray. We're not known. We're known for religion, not for Christ-likeness. What would Jesus do here? Yeah, God can handle it. And I'm going to say this, God can handle America. God can absolutely handle. When we get to heaven, it's on my list. So what was with 2020, 2021, and whatever? Wow. And then all of a sudden he's going to say, yeah, but look what happened in 2024. The great revival broke out because churches started acting like Christians r rather than clubs that meet. Yeah. Anger is an out-of-control emotion that, if not dealt with properly, can lead to, ac ac lead to actual out-of-control behaviors. So look at, this, look at this way this goes, this verse. But now is the time to get rid of anger, the emotion. Rage. Rage is a violent action. Next, has malicious behavior. Having the desire to cause harm to another person is what that means. Slander, make a false statement about someone that causes people to have a bad opinion of that person. And dirty language. And dirty language. I will say for me personally, coming to Christ, the dirty language part, my mouth was the hardest thing to get, to get down on. And Every now and then, some words still come to my mind. And it was so funny, I was in a horrible meeting with eight men uh, from a church where I was recently the, the interim. And they, they were just, oh. I couldn't believe the things they were saying about the church. And uh, I, had, I, said, I, I said, stop. If you were treating my bride like you're treating the bride of Christ, 
I'd kick your, and yeah, I finished the sentence. And one of them there burst out laughing, and on the way to the car, he said, wow, um, where did that come from? I said, I don't know, I haven't said that in decades. I was just that mad there. So I went home and told Rosemary, and she starts laughing uh, because she remembers. There's a reason she didn't marry me for four and a half years. She remembers this mouth and uh, how foul it was. And she said, you know, I know there are times you think it and don't say it, but when you think it, he knows it. It's not like he doesn't hear what you're thinking. I'm not telling you to say it. I'm telling you to get rid of it, rinse it out, done, get rid of it completely. Yeah, dirty language. But now, but now, Bob, you must put away all, put, put away, all away, anger, wrath, maliciousness, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Stop. Now, here's the most important thing, I think. Remember who this is being written to. The church. The church at Colossae. How many kids do we know whose parents took them to church when they get out of the house they never went back? How many pastor's kids? Because they saw their dad one way at church, not like that at all at home. Tons of them are out there. Yeah. We have to battle within ourselves to not bring our past ways of the world into our daily interactions. We must be different from the world or they won't see the impact Christ has had on our lives. Christ has had on our lives. I, I've told about this before, but this is so perfect here. The um, Walt Whitman, I went to Walt Whitman High School and the 50th anniversary of the football team, it was, it was an all-state football team, um, was, uh, happened, I didn't go. Uh, back in Washington, D.C., and uh, somebody said, have you, would, that my name would come up, I never played. I was just kind of there, um, or hardly ever played. But so all of a sudden, um, my name came up, and it was last year, year before, and they were all Googling me, and they're going, wow, are you kidding? And then uh, one of them, extremely wealthy, I'm thinking not with an M, with a B, billionaire, uh, he owns um, car dealerships all around the Washington Beltway. Uh, he got on his own plane and, and called me ahead of time to fly into Executive Airport. Can I spend the day with you? And I said, yeah, Barry, what's up? And he said, well, what happened to you? You weren't exactly most likely to succeed in high school. You were a mess. I said, it was Jesus. Yeah, well, I'm coming down. I want to know. And he flew in, and we went to Chili's, and we had two hours, and he's just his mouth was... And then he wanted to see this. And I, I, didn't, I didn't do this, Barry. Jesus did this. And the interesting thing is, he really wanted what I have. Now, he has homes all over the world. He wanted what I have, and he doesn't have. Came back the next month for one more trip, brought his wife. And she was terrified he was going to do something weird. We, they need to see the change. They need to see, the people around me need to see I'm not like. So, Matthew 5.43. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your, men, your enemy. But I say, this is one of the six but I says in Matthew, but I say, love your enemies and pray, pray for those who persecute you. And that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends rain on, ju on the just and the unjust. If you love only those who love you, what reward is that? For even corrupt tax collectors do that. Remember, this is written by a tax collector, Matthew. 
It's amazing. If you're only kind, if you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. So years and years and years ago, we would have the boys do a, a memory verse. I don't remember whether it was once a week or, once, or one, a, one a day, and they would have to come. They didn't have to, but if they wanted to get a point, they would come and give us the verse. If they came to me, they had to give me the verse as it was, and then we were using the NIV, but then you had to, had to give me it in your own words, change all the words. And Danny McGuire, I'll never forget Danny McGuire. Danny McGuire gives this verse, uh, if you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. And I said, so Danny, how else could you say that? If you pet a dog and are nice to it, he'll lick you. If you kick a dog, he'll bite you. I thought, oh my goodness, that's brilliant. Wow. Wow, dude, you need to rewrite the Bible. That's amazing. Yeah. This response is so different and so difficult that it just might be our greatest form of worship. Being nice to people that aren't nice. Yeah. Responding, not, like, not giving them control over my response, but taking control of me and still being nice and still being nice. Yeah, it might be our greatest form of worship. Honestly, it's Romans 12.1. Romans 12.1 says this. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Yeah, I, so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies, not on an altar of, sac of physical sacrifice, but to sacrifice the me, the ego, the self-esteem, to just let it go. And then it finishes, when you do that, which is contrary when someone makes you angry and you respond different from them, still loving from them, when you do it contrary, this is truly the way to worship him because I'm revealing him in me for people to see. When it's just a nasty parent, and they've had a bad week or whatever, and they're, and they're rude and responding differently to them, they need to see we are different. Yeah. We are to worship Christ by our ongoing sacrifices to and for Christ. To and for Christ. We do this by sacrificing me. So, how do I do that? Dealing with, our ang dealing with our anger and the angry people we encounter means we have to deal with ourselves more than the other person. Yeah, I have to deal with my pride. I have to deal with my pride. And right under my pride, wow, I have to deal with my deserve. I deserve to be treated better than this. My deserve. Yeah. I deserve to be treated better than this. You won't, you don't really want what you deserve. Period. Uh, Christ died so that you don't have to receive what you deserve because you deserve hell. Period. Yeah. So, let us see. Deal with your new form of sacrificial worship. Now I can sacrifice me. Done and done and done. This is so contrary to the way I, I grow up in this culture. It's so con and, and it so needs to be taught to, to that all the children around us to respond in love. Respond as if you know your father's watching, because he is. And of all, of all, um, it, it's an amazing scene to me of the creator of the universe on the cross 
and he's, he's unrecognizable. He's been beaten so badly. And he's on the cross, and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Wow. How can I not do that? That. And I, in heaven, I, ho I hope they filmed heaven that day. There's two hundred million angels. I have to believe they're looking down at the throne when they put Jesus on the cross. Let us go. Let us go. And I have to believe they're screaming and crying. And angels aren't the fat little doughboys on Valentine's cards. They're the warriors of God. And God's saying, no, that time will come. Because he loves us. He didn't want heaven without us. And not only does he love us, Bob, I have a plan for you to impact the lives around you. Yeah, and, if I, and son, if you're still on, on earth, then there's still stuff for you to do. And I, I know everybody wept. I've never seen so many pastors. We, a couple hundred pastors at Lily Pacienza's funeral, the three-year-old daughter of Rob Pacienza, the pastor at Coleridge, and I, I'm doing the funeral, so I go look at them, and they're sobbing, and they're sobbing, and they're sobbing. And we act like there was a punishment there. She got to go. She didn't have to endure this. She got to go early. Yeah, we, we lost a first baby. It's there. It got to go. It got to go. Yeah. What if we discovered that the difficult people we encounter were encountered encounter were permitted or even put in front of us by God himself. Don't give them your remote control. Give it to God. Give it to God. I, I think one of the most interesting people in the Bible, and Bernetta asked me to mention Joseph again today, so I think one of, the, one of the most interesting people in the Bible, Joseph, who grew up heir apparent, very, very well off, and gets sold into slavery at 17, and all of a sudden Potiphar buys him. Potiphar is this old retired a war general, and he's given plum, plum jobs. He's older. He's given a much, 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 much younger wife. And she chases Joseph around, 17 to 28 years old. Come to bed with me. His response? How could I do such a thing and sin against God? And you've got to think that there are other slaves there thinking, really, what has your God done for you? If what you say is true, your past was amazing, and now you're a slave... And what makes Joseph great? He stayed pure and he trusted God. How could I do such a thing as sin against God? And I want to exemplify a difference here. And then she tells a lie about him. He tried to rape me. And you just know God's going to intervene there. And he didn't. He goes to prison for two and a half years. Now, Potiphar could have killed him. He owned, he's a slave. He's, a, he's an owned commodity, but he didn't. So he goes to prison for two and a half years. What does he do? He starts ministering in the prison and gets put over the prison. Oh, that Potiphar ran interestingly. And from prisoner for two and a half years plus to prime minister in one hour? Wow. It's just amazing. But what's amazing here is not what God did. I, I don't even think that's ethnically possible for a Jew to become pr prime minister of an Arab nation. But God, he trusted. All that Joseph did was trust it's easy to trust him when things are going great. It's difficult to trust him when they're not going great. But that's where the worship is, to act like it's wonderful and I just want to minister to other people, which is what Joseph did. And the, the fun part, 
is he's given a wife, and her name is, of all names, Potiphera, and he names his first child, basically. Um, it, what it means is, wow, God has helped me forget all my pain. I don't know whether it's because he's prime minister or she was unbelievably beautiful, or both, I don't know. But wow, God has helped me forget all my pain. But what you did, Joseph, is you stayed the mark. You stayed the course. You did your part. You ministered. You ministered to people around you. Philippians 2.12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. It's in there. I have the power in there. Work it out of you. Get it out of you by trusting. And, and I don't know what you're doing here. I wish I knew what you were doing. What you need to know is that I can do all, all things. All things. Trust me. Romans 12, 1 again. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him, period. So how do I deal with angry people? Don't respond in anger. Don't respond in anger. Listen and repeat what they're saying. Maybe, maybe if they hear it, they'll realize, wow, I, I didn't mean it like that. Consider bringing a third party. These are all biblical principles. Try to determine the source of the anger. So what's really going on in your life right now? And so often it has nothing to do with the situation right now. Dispel any factual errors calmly. Offer possible solutions. And then finally, can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? And sometimes, probably most of the time, when they're that, no, ah, I'm good. Well, I want you to know I will be praying for you. And how many more times will they text or call later on, can we get together? Can we get together? We don't know what they're dealing with. I'm a full-time job for me dealing with me. And God is saying, Bob, Jesus could have gone like that and turned Jerusalem into the other Grand Canyon. Done. But bigger plans for us. And he wants to use us for bigger plans. We cannot respond to anger in anger. We've got to respond calmly.